Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Last week we did some ordinations. Right, Robin got ordained, John Roper got ordained, Hugo got ordained. So um, we just want to acknowledge uh, some of our leaders and pastors that God's been working in there for the work of ministry, and so we're excited to just acknowledge them today. Hey, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses, starting at verse 21 into the beginning of chapter 6 a little bit as we look at the family. We've been doing a sermon series called Unity, and we're looking this morning at the right family relationships. For many of you know, I, I, I love VWs, and when, when I was growing up, I drove a 67 VW, and, and uh, during college, I had two VWs, and they were, I, I would fix them up. I had one that was 67 with a selector drop, European fixtures, one-piece window kits. I was a cruiser, man, of the day. In fact, I remember when I first met my wife, I had a turquoise blue one with a sunroof, and I used to drive her down Laguna Beach, and we used to cruise in the car. I was trying to impress her in my little VW and stuff. Um, with that selector, so when you drive it, it'll go boom, 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 boom. But if you know anything about VWs, they're small. They don't have very much capacity, right? Small seats, right? The engines are really small, really not much. But let me tell you something about a VW. When you're driving on a freeway and you're flowing on the freeway, though it's a small car and there's a semi that comes on and wants to merge onto the freeway that's bigger, has bigger capacity, has more horsepower, probably can wipe me off the road, no matter what, if I'm driving on that freeway, I have the right way. And it has to yield to my little VW, right? Even though I might not have all the capacity, may not have the biggest thing I can't run it over, but by law, I have the right away. Right, Robin? I have the right away. And so, so as, as they're merging, that's about submission. It has to submit because if it chooses not to submit, is it chooses to ram me off the road, it's not my fault, it's the semi's fault. They're at fault for the accidents. See, when we're dealing with family, submission is key to the unity of the family. So it doesn't matter, guys, how, how much education you have, or it doesn't matter you know, how smart you are, it doesn't matter where you are in the rank of the world, it, it doesn't matter anything about that. How famous, that has nothing to do with success in family. It has to do with God's order of things. God sets an order to things. Guys, the key to any relationship is submission, whether you realize it or not. Submitting to God, submitting to each other in marriage relationship, and children submitting to their parents, all that is based upon submission, a yielding to give the right away. That's just the order of things by which God has designed and that's really what we're going to address this morning when we get into the family and the success of the family. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians for the last few weeks, right? Chapter 2, we looked at how God unified as a, as a family with Jews and Gentiles, slave and free men. We looked at how he started this new family by making us new creations and then starting this new humanity, this new family. We, we looked at those very things. Chapter 4, we looked at our roles and and faith, and God's given us giftings and put us together for equipping us for the work of ministry. But this morning in chapter 5 and 6, it starts with the word therefore. 
It's continuing on to talk about the work of application of faith in our life as we move forward in the faith because he's made us a new creation and he's given us a blessing. We read that in chapters one through three, but now he's giving the applications in, in really chapter four through six. And we're gonna be in chapter five this morning. So the success of our relationship between family and friends is, is, is our walk in the spirit. In fact, if you gotta go to chapter five, verse 18, it says, do not be drunk, drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. The key to all that we do has to be led by the spirit. It has to be by the work of God in our life. What God is doing is if we're not born of the Spirit or born of God, how are we to walk in the ordinance of God? Because we will not understand the order of things, because yet we have not submitted even to the Lord Jesus, Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes when you hear these things I'm going to talk about, don't see it from the perspective of the flesh. Don't see it from the perspective of the world. But you got to see it through the perspective of God's written word and his order. Or I'm going to be offending some people today. <laughs> as we talk about the order of things. Because the order of things is what allows us to have unity. The order of things has allowed us to have success in what we do. And so we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter five. Look, it's 5, 21 to 6, 4. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your blessings. And I pray this morning as we talk about the order of right relationships and the work of submission and the work of yielding and the work of the family, the work of marriage, how does this all fit together? And how is this a testimony to the world? So Lord, I'm praying right now your Holy Spirit would speak. Give us clarity. Give us understanding. Father, help us to understand what you're communicating through the Apostle Paul in his writing to the Ephesian church as he's trying to unify it as a body because there were some disruptions in the family and there was some disruption in the marriage and he, he's bringing clarity to the church. You only have to go back to the Revelation, the bigger revelation, talks about how this church lost its first love, and so Paul has to write to a church that we got to get back to the things that are orderly. we got to get back to things that are loving. And so I pray this morning that you would give us what we need. Give us the manna for the day. Give us the truth for the day. We ask these things believing in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. 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 We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at submission in general as he's going to lay something out. We're going to look at the role of husband and wife, and then we're going to look at the role of parent and child-parent relationship this morning and something. I know there's a lot in this text. I'm going to kind of just pick and choose a little bit as we get through it this morning. But the first thing I want you to understand, anything to bring unity. If you want unity in your family, unity in, in your marriage, number one, mutual relationship with each other before God is important. Right away, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, lays out the secret to success. It says this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Oh, if you had a Bible, you need to underline that. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Listen, number one, I want you to remember this. A submitted marriage works together. A submitted marriage works together, right? Paul's transitioning from chapter 4 of a walk in wisdom, now to a walk in the family. He's making, he's doing a shift here in chapter five from, from chapter four. That's why he uses the word therefore at the beginning of the chapter. He's, he's saying, now I wanna deal with the issues of the family. And he begins to address the structure or the order of marriage and the family. But in order for this to work, God must be first in the marriage. Must be first in the family. You have to start from that point. We were all created 
for relationships. And that was the premise of God for us at the very beginning. He created us to have a relationship with him. That's the greatest relationship we could have is with him. Because in the beginning, God created man. But even then, man was not complete until he created the woman. He was not complete until he gave him a helpmate. But I find it very interesting. At the very beginning, at the very creation, God created a woman for man out of the river man, out of the side of man, to be his helpmate. And right away, God called them man and wife or husband and wife. Didn't say significant other. Didn't say whatever we call our culture words today. Right away, that was the institution of marriage. But it started first with having a relationship with God. That's the key there. Couples, and right away, God put them as a team to do a work, Adam and Eve. Guys, I want you to understand, as we submit our families, that we submit our marriages, we submit one of the things. Guys, you got to understand that as a couple, you're on the same team, Right? You must believe you're on the same team and you're called to serve one another, submit to one another in the Lord. It says submit to one another in the fear of God. The word submit is the Greek word we get the word hupotasso, which is a military term. It's a, it's a word that means to, to line up under is what it means. To be under obedience, to be in subjection and we are subjected to God. We submit to God. We, we line under God. God is our commander-in-chief. That's who we first have to submit to. And it says it's a mutual submission that we submit together as a husband, as a family, unto the Lord. We start there. I don't want to put the, the cart before the horse. we got to start beginning with God because the Bible starts in the beginning God. That's who we submit to. That's what the Bible starts there. In the marriage, the Bible has to start with God first. And we have to understand that God is reverenced in the marriage. God is respected in the marriage. Christ is to be front and center in every marriage relationship. And so it starts with this mutual submission before God in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we think, wow, fear of the Lord. That's a scary, fear is a scary word, right? When I think of fear, I think of Freddy Krueger, I think of Chucky, I think of, you know, I like these horror movies, fear, terror, like horror, right? And, and so there are different words for fear, right? The, the word fear in this language here, in the Greek language, is the word phobo, which means we get the word phobia, right? Acrophobia, the fear of heights, claustrophobia, the, the, the fear of confined spaces. There's, there's terror fear. There's dreadful tear weak understands. But there's also reverence. That means respectful fear fear of authority and rank. And that's really what Paul's laying out here. There's a, a respect, respectful, reverent fear, a healthy fear of God. I think we've lost that as a culture. We disrespect God. We mock God. We make fun of God. We don't allow him to have the right place in our marriages and our families. And, and so because of that, we need to know that God has set some orders of him first. We know that in the marriage relationship, as we mutually submit, that there's sometimes some obstacles and challenges, right? We just watched the Olympics, and uh, 
It was sad to see that I watched the track and field and the American team that ran the relay messed up, right? If you watch the Olympics, they, they didn't hand the baton off right. They, in, the, in the relay, the four, and they were, they were favored to win it all. But they disqualified because they couldn't run the race well enough where they fumbled the toss. They didn't do their jobs. They didn't do these things. What were the rules of the track and field of the Olympics, right? There are two ways by which one could be disqualified in a, in, a, in a relay race. One, you could drop the baton. Two, you can get out, of, get out of your lanes. These are all things that can disqualify you from the prize. In some ways, in our marriages, we have done just that. We've, we've dropped the baton. But what are some of the reasons by which we drop the baton? Number one, not putting God first. Right? We could drop the baton. But here's other reasons why we could drop the pawn. Reason for dropping it was maybe we've lost focus on our marriage. Maybe, maybe we lost concentration of the priority of our marriage. And we haven't put marriage as a priority. We put other things above our marriages. Maybe, maybe some of us are, have never been prepared for marriage. That's why we offer premarital counseling before you get married to, to look at the things you're entering in. A lot of times people enter into the marriage, but they haven't considered the cost and understand the covenant relationship they make to one another in the marriage. Because when you go before the altar, before the pastor, you're not only going before the pastor, you're going before God. And you're making a covenant relationship. You're making an agreement between you and God and your spouse, and you make some com commitments. And we say those words for richer or poorer, sickness is health. Right? We, in good times and bad, we say these words, but when those things happen, it seems like we throw that covenant out the wall, out, outside the window. We don't, we don't listen to the commitments because we are not familiar about what that really costs us to a marriage relationship. And so we see how we can, we can not have the tools of what it means. And I hope today you'll get some tools today. But what if we don't, what if we don't stay in our lanes in our marriage? What does that mean? We haven't understood the roles of husbands and wife in the marriage. We haven't understood what it's supposed to be biblically, right? We haven't defined our roles. And, and oftentimes, we have false expectations of each other in the marriage relationship. Maybe we have expectations we've never even communicated with one another. And then we get frustrated and we get mad and we get upset because we lack the communication skills we need in the marriage relationship. These are ways by which we can be, drop the baton and, and be disqualified from the rays not staying in our lanes, God's word is what keeps the unity by defining our roles in marriage. And he gives us a job description in chapter five of what that looks like. And we're going to get into that. So here's, here's where we begin as we begin to define the husband and wife relationship first. I'm going to take a side note, take a sidebar here. Single, singles that are here. I want to address some of you today. All right. I know we're talking about marriage, but I'm going to talk about the singles too. Young I want you to understand, number one, as we go through the descriptions of husband by relationship, understand that you are the bride and Jesus is the groom. The bride is the church. The groom is Jesus. Understand as I'm sharing these things, you're walking in the same relationship with Jesus, right? That we're talking about descriptions of the roles of the husband and wife in this passage. But understand your responsibility in a covenant relationship with Jesus as a single person is to fall in love with Jesus. He is your husband. He is your head right now. 
There is no other relationship. And as you seek Jesus, as you walk with Jesus, trust me, God will bring you who he wants for you. Sometimes we take our eyes off of Jesus and we go looking for other things because we don't think Jesus satisfies us. We don't think Jesus knows us. We don't think Jesus knows how lonely we are, what we need. And so we go out of the scheme and the order of things in order to find something else when God says, where, where are you going? Wayward sheep. Stay focused. God knows what you need. He will bring it because a lot of times we'll compromise our own spiritual Holiness for the sake of the moment of pleasure or the moment that something we don't feel that God could meet. And that's why people go and they go away from the counsel of God. They go away from the order of God. They go away from the, the process of things that God has put together. So I want you, single people, if I feel like this is what you're doing as you're drawing near to Jesus and the man who's drawing near to Jesus, God was, is the great e-harmony, spiritual e-harmony group. God will connect you with who you need to be connected. Because you know what? Young people, you're seeking a man who loves God. You're not seeking a man who says he's a Christian. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hear what I'm saying? I'm not asking you to marry a Christian. I'm asking you to marry one who follows and loves Jesus. One who submits to the things of God. One who walks with God. One, that's the one you're called to marry. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I'm a believer. I believe in God. I'm a Christian, but they, they don't even go to church. They don't even walk with God. They don't read their Bibles. So don't tell me you're a Christian if there's no fruit. So listen, I'm telling single people, that's who God you want in your life. That's who you're seeking. The thing I love about my wife is that I know she loves Jesus. I know she seeks after Jesus. In fact, my wife doesn't even need me because she has Jesus. And I'm okay with that. But listen, listen, that's why I married her, because I know she has a heart for God. And if she has a heart for God, she'll have a heart for me. And if I have a heart for God, I will have a heart for her. See, let's put the order of things perspective, the right perspective. Let's look at the husband and wife relationship in Ephesians 5, 22 to 31. This week, I was watching the, the Padres game as they were playing the San Francisco Giants, you may have watched the game there for a moment, and there was a play where the, one of the Padres had got on, on base. And when you see one of your teammates get on base, guess what? You want to advance that teammate to get around the bases so they can score. So I know the next batter came up, and I know his idea is I got I to gotta hit it. I got to hit it out of the park. I got I to gotta hit it to, make a, to get a run in. I got to hit it in a way that this man could advance for the betterment of the team. I need to move him so he could score. And so I can imagine he's going to the plate with that intention, and all of a sudden he looks over to his coach, and his coach is giving him signs. And the sign that he gave him was, I want you to do a sacrifice bunt. For those who don't know what baseball, a sacrifice bunt is that that guy is supposed to give up his batting moment to hit away for the sake of the team, and when the pitcher pitches, he barely pulls his bat out, and he barely touches the ball, so the ball barely rolls. And the purpose of that was the ball would barely roll, and the man on the base could advance to the next base. But most of the time, that person, that batter will be thrown out. He will sacrifice his, his stats. He will sacrifice his at-bats. He will sacrifice all that for the betterment of the team, to advance the team. 
Guys, in the marriage relationship, there's going to need to be some sacrifices for the better of the team, for the better of the marriage, for the advancement of that relationship, not only for the marriage, but also for the family. There are some sacrifices that need to be made, and sometimes we don't realize that. I wonder that's why Jesus called us to be what? Living sacrifices. He's called us to be living sacrifices. Let's look at the wife Relationship with the husband, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. As we see at 22, God gives a command to the wives. Here we go. Hold on. Okay. Hold on, because you, you're already looking at the verse, right? I see it. All right. Wives, submit to your own husband. Here it is. Here it is. As to the Lord. I want you to see that. We, we only stop and submit to your husband. We don't finish the sentence. As to the Lord. It's a simple command, but very difficult to follow, right? But what is God doing here? He's establishing order to things like the semi and the VW. It's not about who you are. It's about the order of things. God is giving order to things. In fact, in the original Greek language of verse 21, the word submission is not even in the text. They just put it in there to help us better understand the context because verse submission was submitted in verse 20. It's a flow of the passage, but you want to understand they write it in, they put it in there so you can have to understand the context of the passage. We know that submission is a bad word in our culture, right? Many view it as teaching is archaic or from the dark ages, right? They see it as women being dominated by men. But Paul's not writing this, trying to dominate over women. That's not the purpose of his writing. Paul is saying, as the Lord leads you, so let your husband lead you. And as you yield to the Lord, yield to your husband or submit yourself. It goes together. That's why it says unto the Lord. As I submit myself unto the Lord, I submit myself to my husband. That's the, the context. And we know that submission is, is not un, uncommon. We practice submission every day, right? You're currently practicing submission right now as you're sitting in the seats and listening to me. You're submitted to my teachings as you're listening. You're choosing to that. You don't have to be here. You can walk out on me at any time. And people have done that. It's okay. You submit to the laws of the land, right? You submit to the rules and the laws. If not, there's consequences. You submit to your boss at work. If not, you'll be fired. There's all forms of submission that we practice every single day. So it's not uncommon. We don't get mad at that because those very things bring the order of things to our world and our culture and our society. But we often associate submission as oppression. But if you look at scripture as a whole, never do you see that. Jesus defended the woman caught in adultery. He held her to the truth, but he defended her. Jesus went and had drink at a Samaritan, with a Samaritan woman at a well, affirming her and ministering to her. In fact, Paul defends the rights of women in Galatians 3.28 when he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor slave, there's neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not that one is better than the other, it's not that. That's not how it is. You submit unto the Lord. He's just giving order to things. He's just giving structures to things. And what Paul does there is, as he says, wives submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And then he begins to illustrate what he means. He begins to give an example of what he means in verses 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of wife, also as Christ is the head of the church, 
and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay? What is God doing? God is establishing what we call headship. Headship. We know the head means the chief or prominent leader. Okay, we know that. I'm the head of this church. I'm the chief shepherd of this church. Jesus, though, is above me, though. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and I submit to him as the shepherd here, as the pastor, as the one who's shepherding you guys. We know in Genesis chapter 1, man was the prominent leader over our creation, and, and God positioned him in the garden to have dominion over the land, to tend to the garden, and to name the animals and care. He, he gave him dominion. He gave him headship. Though he was prominent in the garden, he wasn't complete until the woman came to him. And then they came along slide, right? But after the fall, there was tension that took place. There was tension. If you go to Genesis 3.16 in the New Living Translation, it tells you what that tension is. It's because after the fall, there was tension, and the woman wanted to rule over him. It says this in 3.16. It says, you will desire to control your husband. Hmm. Come on now. There are some controlling wives. Not letting their husbands lead. Okay? But that's a curse from the fall. That begins. I'm like, you don't know how to do it, so I'm going to do it. And sometimes, let me tell you, husbands, they might have, she might have some truth to that because you haven't been leading, and we'll get into that in a moment. Maybe they're leading because you're not leading. Okay, I'm going to step on some toes here. I'm going to get some emails. I'm going to get some letters. Okay, come on now. I'm going to go and leave this church this afternoon and get in arguments. <laughs> but it says the husbands, husbands is the head of the wife. What? As Christ is the head of the church. He's given a, he's given a picture. He wants you to see. Let me illustrate the roles here. He's contrasting the relationship between the husband and the wife as Christ's relationship with the church. You're, you're seeing both of those happening here, right? The church is the bride, right? You see a, a play on with words. I love Paul when he writes the Corinthian church in, in chapter 11, verse 3. He says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and get this, and the head of Christ is God. Do you see the order? God the Father, God the Son, man, women, and later children. They're, they're, it's just order of things, guys. It's not that they're better. Is Jesus saying to God the Father, I can't believe you're the head of me. Yet they're co-equal. Yet they're one. You see the two parts of the Trinity laid out there. But yet Jesus submitted to the Father. If you look at the order of things, Jesus always honored the Father and the Spirit always honored Jesus. In the order of things, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there was order to things in structure. And so he's given a sneak preview in chapter 13. But I think also what he's saying here is men, step into your role. Men, step into your role. I'm going to get commentaries all morning here. <laughs> men, step into your role that God has ordained you to be in, and has given you authority in, right? Men, you are the provider. You are the protector. You are the spiritual leader in the home. 
Like Christ is the protector and the provider and our leader. You are the protector of your family. So husbands, you lead your wife. Husband, if you lead your wife, trust me, your wife will submit to you. She wants to. She wants to be led by you, lovingly led by you, right? It says, and as the church submits to Christ, we as a church submit to Christ, women submit to your husbands. Paul writes to the Colossian church, the church of Colossae in 1.18, he says, he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that all things may be have preeminence. He is the head. He's giving a picture of this. Wives, you submit to those things that line up with Christ's character. I want you to hear, what do we submit to and what do we not submit to? Because there's things we don't submit to, right? Wives, you are never to follow or submit to your husband who is going to take you into sin or is in sin. You're never to go there. Think about Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, right? The husband came, so I want to give you something, and she joined in the mess. And both died. But he was the head. He led that way. He gave that idea. He's the one that did that. Wives, you're never going to go into sin if your husband's leading you into that. What about, what about physical or verbal abuse? Because that always comes up. You don't have to submit yourself into unloving acts of, of abuse. Right? Women are commanded to submit, but men, you're commanded to love. And so you don't put yourself in that dangerous situation. That's not the order of things. That's not how God has designed it. And so that's the role, husbands, you, you submit unto your husbands as you submit unto the Lord. But remember, there's a mutual submission there. It's the order of things. It's not that you're not smarter. Let me tell you where I submit to my wife. My wife is really good with numbers. And so she does a lot of like the, organizing of our checkbook and making sure we, we do it together, but she takes the lead on it because every time I used to do the checkbook, I used to mess it up. I always thought I had more money than we had. I said, hey, we're, at it. we're ahead. And she goes, no, we're not. <laughs> you don't know how to add. Um, and so she helps me. She take, Guys, that's the mutual submission where we come with our roles and responsibilities and understand what gifts we have, and what talents and abilities we have because she's my helpmate. And so I submit under that. That's the mutual submission that yes, I think you'll do better. It will keep us safer and we're able to do these things better. So it's not like, oh, I'm the head because I'm the man, so I should be the finances. That's, that's not the mentality that Paul's trying to get across here. It's a mutual submission and we have roles and responsibilities that we settle on to help the family marriage do that. But then he turns now to the husband's relationship with the wife in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, and he spends a lot of time there more than he does with the women because you're the head. You're the head of the household here. First thing is love is commanded, 25, the beginning. It says what husbands love your wives. Love your wives, right? The word love is there is the agape love, this unconditional love. What, he, what Paul is writing here, he's saying this. I mean, men, take pleasure in the thing, in the thing. Take pleasure in your wife. Prize it above other things. Be unwilling to abandon it and do without it. This, we're called, love is the foundation of the marriage. You know, I ask people, why do you want to get married? Because I love them. God brought them to me. You know what I mean? Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, how did he bring them to you? You know what I mean? 
Guys, go go into the Bible. Here's a little homework for you. And read especially in the Old Testament how men got women for marriage. One had to work seven years and got an ugly wife named Leah, and had to work another seven years and got a beautiful wife named Rachel. Okay, come on now. Come on. One had to go destroy, get 21 foreskins of Philistines to get a woman. Come on. This, this is how they got their brides. Now, I don't know how you got your bride, okay? But, you know, but, but look, there's a lot of stories of how men got their bride. Just go back and read in the Old Testament, okay? All right? So God brought them to you. Blessings. I hope he knows the Lord. I don't know if he knows Jesus, right? But husbands, you're called to, to love your wives. What we know is this is love is an action, right? Amen. Love is an action. So he's going to start breaking down the action of love here in 25 to 30 here, right? Because love is the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about walking in the Spirit. So we know this love is sacrificial. Number one, we love our wives sacrificially, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Love is sacrificial, right? What a beautiful picture of Christ's love. He demonstrated his love while we are yet sinners. He died for us. Sacrificial. Love is, sac- love is willing to give up some things. Love is willing to lay down your life for that person. Love is not self-seeking. Look up the word of love. Corinthians 13 is your mate that definition of love. Can you put your husband's name in there, defining him that way? Sacrifice love means that you need to deny yourself, put death to self. Not my will, but thy will. Wasn't that the prayer of Jesus in the garden? That was true love. Sacrifice, not my will, but thy will. How about praying for your wife, right? Christ prayed for us as the groom, right? For his church, his bride. We're called to pray for our wives, our bride. How about spending and making a priority to spend time with our wives, right? Guys, when you were dating your wife and courting your wife or whatever you were doing there, man, you would stay up till God knows how late and talk and hang out three, four in the morning. Julie and I would be on the phone till three in the morning. You know what I mean? We'd be going out till three in the morning, sacrificing our sleep when we know we had to go to work in the morning, right? Now you're married, you're like, I'm going to bed, I'll see you later. You know, but we don't even make a priority to be intimate and know our wives. How did, how did Christ define eternal life? He says, this is eternal life. You know me, the only true God, the knowledge and intimacy with God. It wasn't about location. It was about understanding and knowing God. We're the bride. We are to know our husbands. They're to know us. There's to be intimacy with that. Faithfulness to our wives, right? Christ was described as faithful and true. Husbands, we have, a, we have to be faithful to our wives, not compromise ourselves with others. Not putting ourselves in compromising positions. Be careful at work. Be careful of the relationships you stand, those emotional relationships you establish with other people at your work or your friends or whatever you're hanging out with. Be careful of those things. And so we see this, this love, this sacrificial love. Number two, a sanctifying love. Look at verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to, present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Again, husbands, here's your role. Here's your role as husbands. 
Husbands, love your wife with the word of God. Teach her the word. Spend time in the word, right? Is God's word even present in your marriage? Are you studying the word together? Are you talking about it? Man, my wife's a theologian. We get in some heavy conversations. We'll sling the word at each other. So, well, what about this? Oh, what about this? Boom, we're like bringing our swords out, right? The word of God is a sword, right? And there's, there's, and there's fire going on. There's sparks happening. I love it. I love it when me and my wife break down the word and we're like, well, no, well, what about this? And we'll break it down. But what does it mean? Or I'll, she'll say, I don't know where this passage, okay, the passage, this passage is the book, but I'll say, Hanny, where's this passage? I'm looking at, oh yeah, you go to this one. This is the verse. We're, we're working in, in, in partnership with the word, growing in the word, loving the word, holding a ch- kind of church accountable into the word. Guys, you, you have to be an example to your wife, like Christ is an example to us, right? In your service and in your actions. Husbands, you have to encourage your wife in her walk and affirming her in holiness, right? Know, know your wife's love language. Like, guys, you met five love languages? You haven't read that book? Go get it. Five love languages, right? Spiritual gifts, affirmation, right? There's, there's all these five things, physical touch, right? Acts of service. My wife's is acts of service. She's she, amen, Brittany. Amen. Come on, Pastor. Acts of service. She loves me when I fix things around the house. When she has, she has a list, and there's a list, right? Why do you have a list of things that you fix around the house? My wife has a list, and I look at that list, and I know, okay, these are things that I need to do because that rocks her world. That she loves it. Okay, I'm gonna use a word here. Don't be offended. That's foreplay. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, I know, I know that you guys may not... Guys, listen, listen, listen. You think intimacy about what happens in the bedroom. That's not what I'm talking about. Intimacy is what happens in your house every day. And that, that moves her when I just fix the toilet. Now you're all going to go talk to my wife after service, right? Listen, I know, I know we're more concerned with me using that word, but that's part of intimacy, guys, of... And my love language is physical touch. She always holds my hand. She always pats me on the back. That's how she shows she loves me. That rocks my world. Okay? This is, sac- this is the sanctification process for men over women. This is, the sac- this is sacrifice how we do it. Remember, when you stand before Christ, how are you going to prepare your bride to meet Christ as men? That's what we do. How about self-love? Self-loves. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. People talk about narcissism, right? Narcissism is self-absorption or conceit or vanity. Think about yourself. You're first. It's all about you, right? Paul is saying love your wife like a narcissist. (laughs) Love her like you love yourself in in that way. We're the lover like we love our neighbor, the Bible says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Husbands, be sensitive to the emotional needs of your wife. Sometimes she might just want to talk to you and you don't have to fix her. Ask her. 
do you want me to help or you just want me to listen? She just wants to say, just listen. And that's all wives want sometimes is us just to listen. Because guys, we're fixers, right? We want to fix things. I like, hey honey, why don't you just do, can you just listen? Okay, I'm listening. Ask her that, just listen. That's all she might just want right now because she's expressing her, some emotional things that need to happen. Husbands, honor your wife by treating her like a queen. <laughs> Guys, we've gotten the way of opening the doors for our wives, pulling out the chair for our wives. Boyfriends, that's your start of courting, of showing your love and respect and honor by proper etiquette. Guys, pay for the meal when you go on a date. I know everybody wants their independence, but that's not, that's not how we do it, all right? What are the things as husbands to honor our wives and affirm our wives? Husbands, take time to talk with your wife. Communications. Go out on date nights. Go get something. Go to the ice cream parlor. Go to the yoga parlor. Sit down and eat and talk about how your day is. Each night, talk about how your day was. The good, bad, and the ugly of it. Never go to bed by yourself. Go to bed together, and that's your time where you download with each other, or maybe it's a pick a time where you download, right? Communicate. Go out and set your goals for the year. Guys, what's the vision for your family? We have visions for our ministries. We have visions for our corporations. We have visions for our nonprofits. Do you have a vision for your family and a vision for your marriage? Write it down. What's your vision for that? What's your dreams for it? What do you want to establish for the family? That's part of communication. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in 20 years? Lay it all out. We set a little vision. When we first got married, we waited about five years to have our first kid. And we said, before we go have our first kid, our, our goal was to go to Hawaii. And so about four and a half years into marriage, my wife got pregnant with Erica. So my wife says, time to go to Hawaii. <laughs> because we had set a goal that we were going to do that. And she actually was three months pregnant with Erica when we went to Hawaii for the first time. Guys, what are some visions? What are some things you want for your family? What are things you need to write out that God's put on your heart for your family? How about selfless love, right? In 30 to 33, right? Establishing a loving home, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church talking about establishing two become one, leaving two separate, you know, they're, they're joining to become one. You, you come from two separate families to become one family and you're establishing your own home and traditions and it's called leaving and cleaving. There's time when you need to leave your parents and, and take on some responsibility and cleave. Guys, I know those people, kids, you have kids in your home that have been there since they're in their 40s. There is a form of launching. The responsibility Okay, it's not leech and cleave, it's leave and cleave. There's times where they need to go out and take on responsibilities. They need to swim a little bit. Okay, that's part of launching, that's prepared. We're gonna get into that a little bit, right? But there still needs to be a connection between husbands and wife. In fact, the word join means to be glued together. It's a supernatural glue, a supernatural bond that takes place between a husband and wife when they leave and cleave, and there's a spiritual union that takes place. That's why premarital sex is wrong, because you don't even realize that physiologically, God is 
There's hormones that take place that when you get married and if you've never been with somebody, there's something supernatural and bonding that takes place that bonds the marriage relationship. But because we step outside of the order of things, we rip the bonding when we break up or there's not things there and we hurt ourselves more than we help ourselves because there's a supernatural bonding as much as there's a physical bonding that takes place in the marriage relationship. It's, it's, it's important that you understand that, spiritual and physical. That's why God gives us those commands to become one flesh. He, hey, the bed is undefiled in the marriage relationship. Knock yourself out, man. Enjoy it. The, the Bible says enjoy one another. It's okay. <laughs> Amen. Guys, we have, the world's not afraid to talk about sexuality, but if we talk about sexuality in the church, all of a sudden everybody's quiet. We don't want to deal with it. And that's why our kids go to our friends and talk about sexuality instead of come to you. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm dealing with the issues today that we have to deal with because it's all over our social media. It's all over our TV. It's all over our internet. We can't push it under the carpet. We got to deal with it. And so we're looking at these issues here. There's supernatural unions that take place in marriage. Guys, man, you put a needle to put a little bit romance back in your marriage. Look at the word, word romance, the man's found in the middle of it. Because it's the man's responsibility to bring the romance. Okay? Why is the wife always putting up the candles? Why is the wife always getting everything ready? Man, you got to put a little romance in the marriage. Right? You got to contribute to the romance. When was the last time you got away as a couple and had some time alone and did the fandango? Come on now. Intimacy is important, guys. Intimacy is important. God has called you to enjoy one another. Called you to enjoy, right? Lastly, he says to husband and wife, establish some love and respect. Establish some love and respect. Maybe there should be a book about that. It says, nevertheless, let each of you, in particular, also love his own wife and let the wife see that respect her husband. Right? There's, there's the secret to your marriage, guys. Love and respect. Wives want to be loved. Men want to be respected. Right? That's the mystery of marriage right there. Okay? These are two ingredients for a successful marriage. If not, you're going to be caught in the crazy cycle of life and marriage and fighting and bickering and arguing. It's a roller coaster ride that makes you sick and nauseated if you don't learn to love and respect one another. Guys, I'm going to go fast as we close because I know I'm way over time. Pastor Mark, look at me in the back going, no, just joking, Mark. <laughs> um, guys, the parent relationship as we close, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Parents, you have to understand that we are the GPS guide for our children. GPS stands for godly parenting skills. <laughs> the GPS, right? We are the voice they will be hearing for the next 18 years or more. We'll be navigating them through life's challenges, the pains and the victories. We'll be giving them warnings about the dangers ahead and the safer routes to take. We will give suggestions of multiple routes, but, but the goal is to get them to learn how to follow Jesus' voice as they launch into adulthood. For when they leave our homes, they need to discern the voice of God and stay on path that leads to life. We are the GPS. We are the voice right? So in verses chapter 6, 1 to 3, we see the childhood's responsibility here, right? Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live a long life on earth, right? What's the challenge for kids, young people, kids? 
to obey and honor their parents, right? Paul's quoting from the law, Leviticus 19.3, the book of Exodus, and he's speaking to children, but we often think it's little children. But actually what it means is the Hebrew or the Greek word tekna, which means a small child, may think of a small child, but it actually trans offspring. So anyone who's under in your home, anyone that's under your roof, still has to honor and respect the parents. Even if they're 30 or 40, if they're, you are the head of that home. If they're under your authority, under your roof, that applies not just to children. We think of little children. It just talks about offsprings in general. Okay? And they're called to obey their parents. Our families, our structures are so important. But the command here is to, to honor and, and to obey the parents, right? Honor means to value or to prize, to love with respect. Why do we honor, babe? Because it's right. Because it's right. Guys, I know some of you have been wounded by your parents, maybe even abused by your parents. Whatever it was, I know that it's hard. Pastor Peter, how can I love somebody that hurt me? How did, how did God love you when you hurt him? That's hard because, you know, I started very beginning with this. It only comes by the Spirit of God because my flesh has no desire to honor or obey those that hurt me. That's only a work of God. And a mature person will understand the work of God in light of all that. Doesn't mean you have to sit under them. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Just means you just honor and respect. Even when they've done, you can still honor and respect because there's a promise that comes in the obedience of obeying his word, right? The promise is this, you will be well or you will be well off. You will prosper. We'll be people of prosperity and we'll have long life. Doesn't mean you'll have a life that's maybe in the 80s. That's not what it's saying. You'll have a good quality of life. The quality of life is, is what he's talking about, right? Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. When you become disobedient to your parents and not honor them, right? It will lead to a destructive life. So just do what God says. God, when God gives us a command, you do it. Every, you look the Bible. Every time he gives you a command, there's a promise that always follows. Look for that promise. Hold on to that promise. And lastly, what's the father's responsibility for? And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now he's addressing the fathers, but I think this is a family issue. But the headship is still there, the fathers. Right? Parents, you have been given responsibility to steward and shepherd your kids. And here are some, here are some of the do's and don'ts of parenting, right? Dads, don't exasperate your kids. Don't aggravate or rouse them to anger. Colossians 3.21 gives warning. If we aggravate our kids, they'll become discouraged and, and they'll quit and they'll tap out on us, right? Guys, don't, parents, don't be overbearing of your kids. Don't be a, a dictator with them. Don't say, it's my way or the highway. Give your kids room to grow. This thing called grace-based parenting. It's a book. Grace-based parenting. How do you teach and instruct? My job as a parent with my kids wasn't to punish. It was to train. And so we, we have to have a grace-based approach, right? Don't, don't be this overprotected parent. You, you got to give them room to make some mistakes. And you train them in the mistakes. That's part of your shepherding. That's part of your teaching. That's part of your instruction. Kids are going to make mistakes. You make mistakes. You didn't get it right. Your kids aren't going to get it. But you come alongside them and, and communicate with them, be with them as you're coming alongside and they're learning. 
Let me tell you some kids have kids have a, a, a space in their heart, a, a secret place. And they will invite you in. Parents, I want you to hear this. Young parents or whatever, all right? They have a secret place. And when they come to you, especially they come to you when you're in your cars, they come to you when you're at home sitting alone and they start having a conversation. They might say something like this. Mom, dad, something's going on in my school and I just want to, I have something I want to tell you. They just opened up their private world. I want you to catch this. They just opened up your, their private world. Parents, you better catch this and you've got to make it a safe place for them to express their private world without judgment. Let them come to you and you listen. You listen to them. That's their private world. If you don't catch that moment with them, they're going to go open up their private world to somebody else. We've done that with our kids. And I get calls, kids, my kids from college even now, hey, dad, there's something going on here. What, what do you think I should handle with this? This is what's happening in my life. They opened up their private world. And when they open it when they're young, they'll open it when they're older. That's a, that's a, so you're not trying to exasperate that. You're trying to connect with your kids that there's a safe place where they can come and talk to you, right? And don't be unrealistic with your kids. Don't live out your dreams through your kids. Don't live out your failures through your kids, okay? Your job is to shepherd your kids and help them find and discover their giftings and talents and develop that in them for the kingdom and for adulthood. You're preparing them for adulthood, to walk with Jesus and to be an asset to the kingdom. That's your call as parents, right? And don't be negligent of your kids. Be present with your kids. Value and affirm them. Guys, hug them and kiss them. My youngest daughter, it drives her nuts because she's not like that touchy-furly. Every time she comes, I just give her a big hug. There just still is. And she goes, Dad, stop it. But I just, I just hug her and kiss her anyways. I said, I just love you, Miha. I don't care. Maybe I drove you nuts, but I'm just going to love a hug on you. Because that touch and feel and affirmation is so important. They need to feel like they're loved, even if they don't understand that. Right? Then you need to train them. It means you need to bring them up and nourish them up in the Lord. And so what does that mean? You need to model what it means to follow Jesus because more is caught than taught. You need to affirm them when they do right. You need to affirm them by affection. You need to pray and teach them the word. You need to give them responsibility and leadership. Teach them a work ethic of how to work hard. Teach them manners I talked about earlier, money management. But we're not to provoke them. Admonish means just to discipline or give them warnings. Yeah, there are times we need to discipline our kids. I'm not saying you don't do that right? You teach with authority. But your job is not to punish. Your job is to teach in the discipline. That's your goal with your kids. So you're setting the order in your home, right? So as I close, I want to remind you of these three things. Man, I went long today. But this is such, this is such an important issue. This is a such an important... My wife, my wife and I were training at Awana's all morning yesterday at the Wano's conference, some of our people were training there. We, I did three workshops. One of them was family and marriage and parenting. And man, that room was packed because people are looking how to do this, how to get the tools for this. We want unity in our families. It starts with a right relationship with God. Christ-centered marriages submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's number one. Christ-centered marriages submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Christ, God has to be first in the marriage and in, in, the, in, the, in the family. Christ-centered marriage shows submission and love. Shows submission and love. 
And lastly, Christ-centered families train their kids for righteous living. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I just pray for your people, Lord, this morning. I pray for your families. I pray for your marriages. I pray for the singles in this room. Father, we covered a lot today, a lot to chew on. I hope they haven't been gorged too much that they get sick, but they be, that they got the nutrients they need to be the parents and the grandparents and the husbands and the wives that they're called to be as it relates to your word. And I know it's a battle. Marriages are a battle or we get battles with our kids and everybody has different maturity in their walk. But I pray today you touch your people today. I pray today, Lord, may they grasp your word and how we apply your word. Look over them and bless them today. Lord, I just want you to bless your people today, Lord. They're here because they're hungry. They're here because they want to learn. They're here because they want to walk. Lord, honor them. You said he who honors you will be honored. Honor your people today. Bless them, Lord, and that when the enemy comes and wants to bring them discouragement, they don't beat themselves up, Lord. Father, you had two, you had two kids in the garden. You were a parent to two kids, and they made a bad choice that affected all humanity. Did that make you a bad father? No, we just have rebellious kids. We've had our own rebellion, and you loved us back. Our kids might rebel, but we love them back. Father, we want to Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.